Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, and we are two angry boys. Very angry. Super angry. And we wanted to scale this back. I know. We We will. When people stop pissing us off, then we'll scale it back. It's very simple. Well, you know that that's unlikely to happen, yeah? It does seem that way. As more and more time goes on, it seems less likely that I stop being pissed off, but... Look, the main reason I do this podcast is so I can hang out with my friend every week. We can talk about the game we love. We have a built-in excuse to always make sure we're, we're staying in contact with each other, chatting, which I love because I'm shitty at that. Like, I'm just not good with any of my friends. I'm glad we have that built in to our process. So if something's on my mind and I'm cranky about it, then I just kind of want to do it. Like, even if it's annoying, even if like that makes the show not for some people... I'm okay with that. Like, it, it's fine. It's fine if you don't want to hear it. I understand. I really do. And I don't begrudge anyone who's just like, enough. But I was angry today, and I said, we should start the show with some anger, and you happily agreed with me. So, If you don't want to listen to some very valid anger and some less valid anger, I guess, like things that are not as important, uh, maybe, maybe just skip ahead to like the 45-minute mark. I'm right. pretty sure we'll be done ranting by then. Yeah, that's that seems safe. I hope. I mean, I don't I don't have 40 hours to record this podcast. And we do have a main topic. We're going to talk about Pioneer. So if you're a Pioneer person, you want to stick around for that. Oh, yeah. Fair. Uh, but we got to get the angry out first. I guess we do have to talk about Pioneer at some point. Anyway, Carmen Handy over on the Twitters. We are recording this on a Wednesday. She posted a thing. I guess I should, I don't know, probably read exactly what it is, right? I like that. Yeah, I like just saying the words as written. That seems correct. All right. Carmen, her tweet is having a hard time today. Hashtag Watsy staff. The twit longer basically is when I was hired by Wizards of the Coast, I was a member of the Rivals League. Shortly before my hiring, Eric Froelich left the Rivals League as a result of his partner getting hired by Watsy. Part of his contract was paid out. When I was hired, I specifically asked if I could be similarly compensated and was told that the details of the situation made it so that wouldn't be possible. I accepted this and didn't argue. Two-ish weeks ago, I found out that when Chris Kavartek was hired by Wizards of the Coast, he asked that they pay out part of his rival's contract, and they did. I told my manager that I was upset by this. My manager told me that he would do some digging for more information. Today, I had a meeting with my manager and an HR representative and was told that they cannot confirm or deny the details of other people's pay slash compensation packages and will not be making any sort of equity adjustments. End tweet. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Just flat out unacceptable. I mean, on so many levels. As the situation has presented, this cannot happen. It's not fair. It doesn't shock me. I mean, like, I know. At some point, I will share stories of my own experiences dealing with wizards in terms of hiring and potential employment and the problems there. And I I have a feeling you have similar stories to share, but this isn't the moment for that. There's a very pointed situation here, a very clear situation, which it it just can't be allowed to stand. If this doesn't upset you, then I, I worry about you as a person. It's not correct that two people of equal job title and you know equal placement in their their leagues really mirrored situations get such separate treatment it's it's not fair and to be clear you're talking about carmen and chris right 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I, there's there's a difference between Ifra's situation. And yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, again, I, like it's still not fair. Even if it was just Ifra's situation versus Carmen's situation, I would still have issue with it. But the Chris and Carmen thing looks like apples to apples as far as the information is presented to us. And I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you don't recognize just just how offensive this is, but how stupid is it? Like, how stupid is it to manage your business this way and leave yourself this well-deserved backlash just sitting out there that could have been dealt with over a few thousand dollars? You made a billion dollars last year. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I, and how do you explain it? Like, how do you even think things get to this point where – Someone who, by all accounts, I mean, we don't have most information, but I would expect Carmen has had a very positive effect uh, with her time at Wizards. Just knowing her, knowing how she thinks about magic. I told her from the beginning, she seems like a, a slam dunk Wizards employee that could do many things, not just, you know, make the donuts, but could go on to do literally whatever she wanted within the company. Yeah. Absolutely true. And to, to be treated in this fashion, I mean, over just a, I don't want to say a meaningless amount of money. I mean, it is it is meaningful money, but in terms of like your billion dollar budget, it's pretty meaningless. Like it really doesn't affect them at all. And I don't understand how you get to this point. Uh, I mean, you do. I, short of actual malice. And that is, I have always hesitated to actually ascribe that to wizards because I, in my experience with them, I don't often find malice. I find incompetence sometimes. I find like antiquated structures. I find uh, just poor business practices. I mean, greed. Greed is a big part of that, and it's not you know it's not like personal greed necessarily because like who is directly making money, right? But right. it it is definitely like parent company inspired greed, shareholder inspired greed, whatever. And I guess like a lot of that usually does come with some malice attached. It's just not even though it's not even net dollar positive. Like but, if yeah, you have I mean, a risk of this ever coming to fruition, it's a horrible, horrible EV play. Not to talk about things that are very personal, very real in terms of EV. I hate that type of discussion. And this has problems beyond that. But even if you wanted to just look at it in terms of dollars and cents, it's messed up. Yeah. I mean, it's, Malice and or discrimination. Yeah. And I, I think discrimination certainly is underlined. And then I don't know if you like ascribe malice to that or not, or if it's just, you know, built in your nature or yeah. something, but it's like, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 systemic is. it is systemic, absolute unacceptable behavior. And it's, it's wild. It's absolutely wild that we're dealing with this in 2022. I shouldn't be shocked. I mean, I see it, you know, I see what my wife faces all the time. I see what, so many of my non-male, my non-white friends face on a regular basis. So, I, you know, it's it's still disheartening to see it, though. Absolutely hilarious coming off the back of the Pride Secret Lair announcement. Yeah. And generally being, you know, widely beloved and uh, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, corporations are not your friends. They do not care. They are clearly doing the Pride thing for like. Dollars. Yeah. Dollars, branding, you know, whatever sort of like positive social media spin that they get. And when you're not looking, they do shit like this. Yeah. And so I don't know how I could have like done this podcast ignoring this fact. I just would have like seethed and been dismissive of everything we talked about and been like, none of this matters. So maybe I can like actually do a better job assessing 
our main topic on its merits, having vented about this, but I, I'm pissed. I I can't think of a better ambassador for the game than Carmen, and to have her treated this way, it's just infuriating. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just so funny to me because it's like I, I don't know how much money it is. You know, maybe maybe it's like oh, we pay out some of your contract. Maybe that's five thousand dollars or it's ten thousand dollars. Like I don't know, but it's just like drop in the bucket for them, right? And just so so shitty but not surprising gonna tell you something this may not surprise you gerald wizards pay is not in line with the rest of the industry oh i know and, uh, yeah, oh, i know I, I had a feeling you would not be surprised and to double down on that in this scenario where you can just do the right thing it's it's not even like fleecing one of your employees though because they just like rolled over for chris is what it seems like. And we're just like, oh yeah, you want, you know, X amount of money. Yeah. We'll give it to you. No problem. Yeah. So the one thing that's, that's not to invalidate any of this, but just like, I, I don't have words from Chris right now. And Chris is someone I've grown to respect a lot. And Carmen indicated Chris was just like extremely forthright and, you know, sharing the information. I don't know exactly what the contract situation was there, how fiercely negotiations had to go down or, or what, I would like to know more, but the thing you can't escape is that all of these people, and it's not only people like Chris and Carmen who are directly putting themselves kind of in the line of fire, but anyone who speaks out on behalf of Carmen, who's at Wizards right now, is just like doing a very brave thing. They're putting a a crosshair on themselves and probably hampering future job prospects. Oh, yeah. And look, they're going to have to do quite a bit as an organization to make it look like they're still considering anyone who is in these scenarios as a full fledged member capable of all the advancement of everyone else. But that doesn't just cause you make it look that way. doesn't always make it true. And when the time comes and you're up for that promotion, that can kind of like define your career and you don't get it. You've always got to ask yourself, well, was it because of this or was it because of something else? And that's a really precarious position to put yourself in, especially in an industry as uncertain as this one. There's just a lot of underpayment. There's a lot of not next knowing where your next job is coming from. So it's an incredibly brave thing for all these people to do. Game design too is like so ethereal because you, it's not, you can't ever tell if you did like a good job or a great job or whatever. It's just like, you just kind of have to roll with it. And you know, it's like, does, Maybe you thought you did a great job and then the public didn't really like the thing mm-hmm. that you put out. Or maybe you thought you did a bad job, but your contemporaries think you did a great job or whatever. It's, it's just really hard to get a handle on how well you're actually doing. And I mean, there's already just like a lot of imposter syndrome and stuff like that in general. Right. Yeah. So given that it's so nebulous, that can only serve to make things worse. And then, like you mentioned, you know, you're up for a potential promotion you get turned down and it's just like, well, is it, you know, because I raised a stink about this money thing? Is it because I'm actually not good enough? It's, is it because they like, I am good enough, but they don't know or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's so much stuff. You're absolutely right. And discrimination is insidious everywhere, but it's particularly insidious in those type of scenarios where there are no hard metrics. So you can't say, look, I made this many dollars this year, whereas X person made this many dollars and you gave them more money. You're never going to have anything like that to point to. And all that you can really use in support of your case is other soft metrics. You can look at performance reviews, things like that, but those always can have that baked in discrimination in them. So it's such a 
uh, volatile situation where if you're not trying to actively weed it out, you are encouraging it to exist within your organization. Correct. And that is, that's the problem here. And it's very clear it has gone unchecked. So Carmen makes this post, right? And I, I feel like her doing that is also just exceptional, incredible bravery, right? Because Mm -hmm. it, it certainly affects her probably much stronger than it does in like any individual who speaks out on her behalf. Not to yeah. like, not to discount like the yeah, no, no, the amount correct. of impact that that has, but yeah, it's just like it, it's a weird situation, and I am not like privy to that insider information anymore, so I don't know like what is going to happen or whatever. But just like you, you think about the possible outcomes, right? And you know, you, you mentioned like maybe not getting promoted, kind of being like on like a soft blacklist or whatever. Mm-hmm. That that could certainly happen, maybe. They're like, oh, okay, well, because you got a thousand retweets, we will pay you out. But it's like, they're probably not going to overpay, right? They're just going to give you the amount that you deserved in the first place. And then it's just like, well, does this actually solve anything? It's like, yeah, they kind of like made that right, but they don't do anything to fix the underlying problem that, that caused right. this. What happens the next time this comes up? Yeah, and how so many how many other, you know, marginalized people who are in the organization right now had similar, you know, gaps in their payment structure as compared to other folks in their same exact spot. Right. I don't know. I, I just don't know. Yep. Uh, so I, I'm going to be interested to see how it all shakes out, but I am also fully aware that we just may never know. And, right. and I'm cool with that. I, yeah, I that's think fine. Carmen has already shared more with us than she was obligated to. I just appreciate what she did here. I think she is looking out. Not This isn't about just looking out for her. That, I mean, that's the thing to really understand here. That's right. not the goal. It's about looking out for everyone in the organization at risk to herself. That's the way this should be perceived. Yep. And it's, you know, not, not just like the people who come after her, right? But it's just like the people who are there currently too. Yep. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I hope she definitely gets paid. Not that this is necessarily about the money, but I definitely hope that that happens because someone should have to pay. And I I hope that they they do some shit to fix this, but I'm not getting my hopes up about that, unfortunately. I'm with you. I'm with you. Systemic problems. Yeah. Uh, what was the second thing? We're, oh, SCG. Yeah, I'm angry at them too. Add, yep. add them to the list. Yep. This is this is descending order, just so y'all are aware. The Carmen thing is right. easy, number one. Yep. SCG was so two days ago, you know? Hmm. Uh, they they kind of just like stealthily removed the vax or negative test entry mandate thing from their events, websites, like, for example, SCG Con Syracuse, right? People noticed that like, oh, hey, this actually doesn't say that it requires proof of vaccination or a negative test, what's the deal? And then it was just kind of like crickets. They were like, oh, they noticed, you know, got to get some time to formulate a reply. Eventually came back with a reply and it was like, yes, that information is missing from the website or whatever. It's just like, God damn it. I don't know, man. COVID's not over, you know? Paxis happened. They had, as far as I can tell, like I, I wasn't there. I don't know anyone personally who was there, but it seems like they had a pretty strict, like, mask enforcement policy and you needed like proof of vaccination or negative test to get in. And one of the enforcers at PAX got COVID and died, you know, like this is, this is real shit. This is still happening. Yeah. And I, I don't really even know what 
to say about this. I think it was like an opportunity to make a buck again. Like you just save a, f- a few dollars by not having to, I mean, the, here's the thing about this situation. They put the system in place already. It was there. It was, it was working. They did it at multiple SCG cons. And now they're like, eh, we don't want to pay for this anymore. What other justification could there be? COVID is not over. Nobody believes that. Nobody logical believes that. I mean, if, I there were there were plenty of people who I, I don't know if they do believe it or whatever, but they were certainly parroting that on various Twitter threads. So I don't okay. know, man. I don't know okay. what people no, believe. You're, you're right. You're right. I people shouldn't believe that. I guess is what I should say. Some people do. Uh, they're wrong. But I I just don't know here. It seems like once you have this in place, you have this set up, you're kind of priced in to either continuing to do it or giving a valid reason for not doing it any longer. Like you you caved because you recognized it was the right thing or you thought it was going to cost you money. So now you believe it's not going to cost you money anymore? Is that, is that all we're doing here? So, I mean, I'll pay for the doorman. Sure. Personally, for for events that I'm not even at. I don't care. Whatever. It's such again, we're talking about drops in the bucket here to just keep people safe and to do the right thing. And I don't know, man. I'm I'm extremely frustrated by the state of greed presently. So logically I want to agree with you where it's like, I don't know, look at like the case numbers and whatnot, but it's just like everywhere is basically lifting restrictions and i understand that if you are the one that is i don't know like holding out kind of has like a negative connotation to it or whatever but it's like you're the person who is still enforcing the stuff like people are going to look at you weird or whatever but i also think that there's like a big portion of the magic community who is like oh you're the one doing it correctly right there's something to be said for being the leader on an issue and that's the thing about scg is that they're clearly the leader of doing this type of stuff, running conventions, running card game events. They, they just are like the name in doing it. They compete with one other organization on the same scale. And I would say SCG just did it bigger for years and years. And it's in this weird state of flux, but I still think they have the edge in terms of like running events. And if you're, if you're the leader, act like it, like there's such a opportunity for you to just go ahead and you already did the work. You did it. You did it. You caved once. You you realized there was either realized it was the right thing to do or felt like it was the thing that was going to make you money. So just keep doing it. Keep the systems in place. And I guess they don't agree. And I don't know. You say like look, you know, act like a leader or whatever, but just look at our leaders, dude. They don't. That's true. They don't. So again, logic logically, I agree with you, but it's just like that that sort of argument I don't think is going to hold any water for them. I know. And you know what the real problem is, is that I actually can't come up with arguments anymore that do hold water. I think that's the problem is that there's something to be said for the fact where every other thing in the world has moved on incorrectly. So I'm not trying to defend any of these decisions or the state we're in. It's just like if everyone throws up their hands and says, fuck it, I'm done with it. Uh, We can't do anything anymore. Then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. They're right. You can't do anything in those scenarios where everyone has decided not to do anything. There is no effective means of control anymore. But like, does that make it correct? Does that make it no. right? Absolutely not. Like, no. there's still space to be better. 
I don't know. I, I expect a lot from SCG. I do. I expect them to be leaders. You know, we talked about when we parted ways with SCG, we felt like we were almost always treated fairly. Uh, my time with SCG was almost universally good. So I have high expectations for them. And I think they have often done the right thing for their employees, for their customers. And that's what makes this hit a little harder because I know how they have the capacity to do the right thing within their organizational structure. And they have leaders who have taken those steps before and have done the right thing. So to see this just get kind of flubbed, that's disappointing. Yeah, it's it's kind of going downhill. And I don't know why because it mostly seems like it's the same people in charge. So It does. It does. And you you have to wonder if it's just like, I don't know if desperation is the right word, but like things have been tough. Things have been tough for everyone, right? And SCG lost a lot of what it did for a very long time. I don't think they suffered through the pandemic. I think their model changed. I think they sold a lot of cards because cards just sold really well in general. But, you know, all that ancillary stuff they were doing, the content, the tournament stuff, it just went away. And how they've kind of come back from that has just been very odd, very sort of dismissive at times. Yeah. And I, I don't know what's going on again, you know, don't, don't have the insider track here. So can only speculate, but I, I, I know that like card sales were up and like magic did great during the pandemic, but I don't know if it was, you know, LGSs that had like a very wide expansive player base where people could just like come in, grab a box real quick and get out because SCG being located in Roanoke where it's like, you know, they have uh, a pretty reasonable player base for what is mostly just a small town. Right. But it's, it's definitely not like, Oh, this, this thriving local community that we had say in Seattle. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. You would expect that people are making purchases online, but it's just like I, I can I can basically argue one way or the other where it's like, oh, did like SCG specifically do well during the pandemic because they weren't able to go to shows all over the US and buy up cards and they were right. frequently out of cards and it's hard to sell cards when you don't have them. Good points. Right. So if if they were hit hard, I could understand that. If they did make a bunch of money, I could understand that too. I actually don't know. And it's entirely possible too that Magic doing really well was just like people buy boxes on Amazon for five, $5 less or whatever. Walmart, buying yeah. cards in Walmart. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have no idea. So I, I think that if it was like, oh yeah, like SCG got hit really hard in the last two years, you could kind of explain away some of the decisions where it's like, oh, they're they're doing this because they are desperate for money or whatever. But it's like, I, I don't know if that's the case. So no, I don't. I don't either. And uh, again, we won't know. We're never going to have clarity on this. It's I don't know. I don't even know what the purpose of this is. I just like have this anger inside me that I wanted to vent this week, and uh, we did it. And I, I don't feel any better. Do you feel better? A little bit. Okay, that's good. I don't know. I honestly think that Occam's razor in this situation is probably just everywhere else is kind of like lifting mandates, so they are too. And sure. it I might not even have anything to do with, oh, we have to pay someone to watch the door or whatever. Or like we think that anti-vaxxers are a large portion of our customer base or something. I don't know. I have no idea. But in, in regards to like COVID specific things, I guess I would like to say a few things if that is cool. Yeah, uh, your show, brother. Do what you want to do. I don't know, man. It's your show, too. Well, I, I like hearing this, so you, you have my permission. So for the folks who are like, well, 
cases still exist. People are still dying, but it's like not as bad as X, Y, and Z part on the timeline. It's still bad, right? And just because maybe it is less bad now doesn't mean that you suddenly drop all precautions to zero, right? One of the things that I saw getting thrown around a lot, which actually kind of makes sense, is like, oh, the amount of total car accidents went down. I'm just going to ride without a seatbelt. You know, that just doesn't make any sense. So it's it's the same kind of deal. It's just like, I don't know, all, all the folks that are just like, oh, uh, you know, I don't like wearing a mask or whatever. I don't even necessarily wear a mask to protect myself. It is for harm reduction. And so that if I am possibly infected and do not know it, it, it reduces the likelihood of me spreading it to other people, which is what masks are better at versus protecting yourself, right? So yeah, I mean, that's that's most of their purpose. Yeah. So I, I, I don't get it. You know, it's, it's just like the, the people who are like, oh, you know, like just do your own risk, like personal risk calculation. It's like, I was never doing that calculation. My calculation was always on harm reduction. That's it. That, that is what I care about more so than my own personal risk is like, I do not want to contribute to the spread of a disease that could potentially kill someone. Why would I want to do that? I can wear a mask, dude. It's not that hard. It isn't. Getting vaccinated isn't hard. None of this stuff is hard. And I think confirming that you have done these things should be the bare minimum for participation in, frankly, high-risk events. And they continue to be high-risk. And, you know, maybe they shouldn't happen. I am, at this stage, I am basically sympathetic to the argument that we can't win here. Like, our, our government has betrayed us. Our economy has betrayed us. We've been betrayed in every possible way. There is no victory. So it is just like we all are going to live with risk forever. But like even making that decision, you can still do what you can do. It's just not a huge ask. And yeah, I'm right there with you Uh, in most ways. I think probably we differ a little bit in terms of like what we have deemed acceptable behavior. And I, I don't think, though, the fact that I have a little bit broader range than you do means I disagree with any of your points. I, I think they're all spot on. It's just kind of a defeatism and uh, there's no winning left. So what am I doing here type deal? But still, that none of that is to imply that like I'm ever taking my mask off in this situation because it makes me uncomfortable. That's stupid. Like it's such a low cost thing for me to do. I'll do it for as long as it helps and uh, a bunch of other behaviors I'll continue to do as long as it helps. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of appetite for that at this point. The, the problem I have with all of this is the people who are like, well, you know, you get to choose your, your own risk factor or whatever. If you are scared, you can stay home or whatever. It's just like, dude, shut the hell up. Why don't you care about other humans? Like, <laughs> that, that's what I want to know is just like the, the thought just like doesn't enter into anyone's head. It's always like me, me, me. How does COVID affect me? How does wearing a mask affect me or whatever? And it's just like, maybe it's not about you. Maybe you should give a shit about the people around you. And that just seems very difficult for a lot of people to understand. As always. I mean, that's just, that's society 101. It is it is challenging for other people to see that. Yeah. And I, that that's the most frustrating thing about all of it. Because it's like, you see these arguments happening and it's just like, this is not even what you're talking about. It's just like one person is saying like, I care about my community. Other person is just like, I don't. And it's just like, okay, that's, 
that is your entire argument right there. Like you two can stop talking now, right? Yeah, there's not going to be any any commonality between those two positions. Yeah, but it's like, oh, let me link you to these studies about the efficacy of masks or like where the cases are or whatever. It's, no, shut the hell up. You know, like just just care about other people. How about that? And if you don't want to do that, we can just not talk to each other. That's it. That's that's my rant. Good rant. Agreed. Do we have our anger out now? Have we done it? No. How long did, I, it, how think, long did it take to get anger out? So so going on the rant is kind of cathartic. It is soothing to some degree, but now I'm also like worked up, right? A little fired up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel that. It's like, uh, give me another thing to rant about. Okay, so last thing, which is honestly whatever. This it, is almost irrelevant, but yeah, yes, we can rant irrelevant. about this quickly. So uh, Explorer started on Magic Arena and it is basically... You know, it's going to be Pioneer eventually, but it's like Pioneer without a lot of the Pioneer cards. But it means that there's like no fake stuff and no, you know, no alchemy cards, no cards that have been altered or anything. And they banned Winota in Explorer. Meanwhile, Winota is still legal in Pioneer. Winota has like dirt on someone at Watsi because this card just shouldn't exist. It's stupid. It's... It's clearly identifiable as stupid. We have gotten rid of it in multiple formats. Uh, when it has been around, it has not been fun. It's it's bad. It's a bad card. It's a poorly designed card. It shouldn't exist. It keeps being here. I, I get it in theory. In practice, it doesn't lead to fun games. It doesn't combine interesting or novel ways. It doesn't even put good restrictions on deck building. Like It's just no. very clear what you're going to do here. So I, I'm all for banning it in explorer but why are you letting it stay legal in pioneer and why are you talking about like oh as we add more cards we'll we'll bring it back no nobody wants this nobody wants this card like nobody wants to play with it in any format let it go get it done with that's it this is this is very low on the anger scale but it's it's a silly card yeah it's just funny to me that the obviously the formats are different but it's like they're meant to be the same thing and i i can totally see because it's it's like comparing you know standard to four-year extended or something mm-hmm. where it's just like obviously one format is going to be more powerful than the other and maybe it's just explorer cannot handle the stress of winota and i understand banning it but it's just like no don't don't be talking about how you're going to put it back you know like it's already it's busted in pioneer it is probably like the card that i would ban in pioneer and it's not even like power level or win rate necessarily like it's it is just, it's just stupid it is those things but it's also really silly and puts a constraint on the format you know to be like a turn three format and it's just like what the hell we didn't even want to do this with modern you know yeah huge huge letdown that the card continues to exist in pioneer but i have a feeling this is going to get sorted out at some point it's just annoying we can't just do it now I I miss the days where they're just banning stuff every week. And then it was like, oh, we'll, we'll get Pioneer to a good place. Don't worry. And then they're just like, yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah, we're done. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I uh, I crafted some Winotas. Did you? Do you get a refund on those? You now? do. I mean, I skimmed. I, I'm i pretty sure I saw it, but my confidence level is not 100%. So. It should be because I read it and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break your heart right now. If you have ever gotten refunds for Winota before you will not get this refund. And I have a feeling you have gotten previous Winota refunds. I had two. Okay. Does it count any or does it count all? Or is it just like if you got one wild card from Winota? Maybe you're, maybe I'm a big you're asking You're asking questions I can't answer. And not only can I not answer them, uh, but also there's apparently a bug 
where you won't be told how many wild cards you're getting from the banning of Winota. So you will not know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could like look at my wild card count now, right? Take notes, write it down, and then yes, you can maybe figure it out. I I briefly, you know, I was skimming, right? And I saw a thing that was like, oh, you'll you'll get some cards or whatever, and I was like, I'll check. And I I had the Tibble's trickeries, so I didn't I wouldn't even think about crafting those. And I was like, I had two Winotas, whatever. I'll just craft the other two. But I, I was never like, oh, slam dunk. So I don't know. I was already in arena. wasn't that hard. Maybe they got me. I I think you're going to be okay, but I would like a report on this. I want to know what happens here. I'll I'll let you know if I know. Okay, fair enough. But in the meantime, I guess uh, let this be a cautionary tale. Well, I guess by the time this happens, by the time the show Too gets late. out, yeah, it doesn't yep. matter. So not not helping anyone as usual. Not helping anyone. Here. Yeah, maybe maybe just read the fine print. There was no fine print ahead of time. <laughs> this is all post. It was uh, no, it was normal size print. I couldn't even read that. That's fine. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Do you want to talk about literal pioneer? I guess 35 minutes into this podcast. I will now talk about actual pioneer. Yes, because I cannot in good faith discuss actual pioneer until I have aired all of my grievances surrounding pioneer and uh, the existence of magic cards in general. Once that is complete, however, I am happy to talk about the pioneer format, which seems incredibly diverse, although People are not loving it right now. Do you have a sense of why that is exactly? So I definitely did not like it two to four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was it just seemed like all of the decks existed on the furthest reaches of the poles as humanly possible. It was just like Winota is this turn three aggro combo deck and playing other aggro decks is just silly. There was blue-white control, which... Is fine to exist, obviously, but it was definitely just, you know, no win condition, going super hard, counterspells, removal, nothing else. Again, fine. That is the least big offender. There was Lotus Field combo, combo existing, also fine. But when it has to do with an indestructible land, it's not not very easy to interact with, no. you know? So that's pretty frustrating. And just so many matches against that deck are like, well... If I'm playing Winota, am I on the play? Do I get to do my thing on turn three, turn four, and actually goldfish them? Or if you're a normal deck and you're on the draw, you probably just automatically lose and then hope that sideboard cards carry you. And right. that that's just not a great feeling in general, but also it's just like, I don't know, what are you going to have, like two damping spheres? Get out of here, right? So you could load up on it, but it's like there are, there are decks all over that exist on the hard reaches of these poles, and you also need to sideboard against them. Right. So uh, and then there was Phoenix, which is kind of a control deck, but also I do stuff with my graveyard. And then eventually I, you know, double or triple fork a time walk and you just can't do anything and you lose. You know, it's just like all these decks kind of suck. Just the the play patterns with them. There's not a whole lot of interaction. It's like maybe you're shocking some tutus or whatever. But man, I miss I miss like mono black aggro mono black mono red. Yeah. Those, those were the days for sure. Or or when what is currently the Winota decks now were just like eight elves and eight rabble masters, right? It's mm. just like inherently fair beatdown that's like, oh, wow, yeah, you could get a fast draw or whatever. But if you had like an anger of the gods, you're probably okay. Yeah, they also had once upon a time. So they were, they were really good at just like doing that thing over and over when they first showed up. So um, A, A, I that's I would still fine. take that though. I would take that over Winota though. Yeah, A, that's fine. And B, that wasn't always the case. It was like, 
once upon a time got banned and it was still a deck. So that's true. That's Whatever. true. It did persist after that. So given that things did not look good. However, uh, there was a pioneer challenge and a showcase challenge last weekend on magic online. Like basically the only place to play pioneer. So I don't yeah. know, probably, probably looking to doing that. MH two drafts just came back today on Wednesday. So a lot of the modern cards are also dropping. If you're like, Madge, I, I want solitudes, but they're 70 bucks. And it's like, well, not anymore. And, you know, maybe give it a few days and they'll be even less. So decent time to get into Magic Online if you like uh, some slow spreadsheet like magic action. And uh, we have loaner accounts from Card Hoarder. So if you don't want to just, you know, spend a thousand dollars on a deck, you can also just use a rental service for like 35 bucks a month and just play kind of whatever you want. So Moto Moto's yeah. not that bad. It's not. It's, I think, still my favorite way to play Magic at the moment, uh, short of, you know, in a room with other vaccinated COVID-negative people playing, like, Team Sealed. That might be the only thing better right now. Uh, Dude, even then, that was sketch. It was probably a little sketch, but we we survived. Because we uh, left early. <laughs> we did leave early. <laughs> very, very wise choice. But now we're on Moto, and we're participating in these challenges. Unfortunately, never winning them. But... This challenge was won by a deck that I think we both have spent some time around generally appreciate, but never really love. Uh, the first challenge won by niv Reborn again. And I think it's been a minute since this deck has really been in the top tier of the Pioneer format. But yeah, I, I, I Cla- get it. Claudio is... I, I don't know if they've been playing Magic Online for a long time. And because I, I don't recognize the screen name from like five years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. But, certainly, but they're in every challenge top eight. It feels like. Yeah. Certainly within like the last two years, it started in modern with Yogmoth, And I think I played Claudio twice in, in one of the challenges I played in. And they were just like the basically the sole person repping that deck uh, until it eventually got like a little bit more popular. And also, I know that Niv-Mizzet has been a thing that they've done in the past. So, yep. No surprise to see them in top eight. No surprise to see them playing Niv. No surprise to see them winning. They also top eighted the other challenge on Sunday. Yep. Yeah. Double top notch performance. And this deck not really changing much other than just smoothing out the mana a little bit. I say smoothing out. I don't actually know if that's the case. I mean, this mana base is wild. I have no idea if this is right. So, okay. 28 land. Yeah. 61 cards. I kind of love that. Because you have some... You get it in the tutoring deck, right? Yeah, so you you have some weirdo bring-to-light targets that you probably just don't want to draw. And a lot of your cards are fairly replaceable. And you need to hit every land drop. And you don't have fetches or anything, you know? So the the mana base is completely wild. I have no idea if it is even close to correct. It's a lot of one and two ofs, just like one of every triome, you know? It's, It's a work of art, really. Or a disaster. I have no idea which. I mean, it, it could it could be absolutely incredible. It, it wouldn't surprise me. 28 land, it's hard to go wrong. You know, it's like, oh man, I drew my five land opener and I mana screwed. Like, come on. Yeah, I like the commitment. I like the commitment to a, a large, large mana base. I think it makes sense in the scenario. Also, there's just a ton of cycling in your mana base. You shouldn't want to do that, but it's there. It's, cl- the it's clunky and your top end has a lot of like five mana cards. Yes, it does. So it's really difficult to actually get to cycle a triome and still be able but to. But you also play else. to the point where you have eight lands in play too. Like that's not no, unreasonable. Yeah. This deck, super, so. super late game, probably great, right? Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, this deck is, it is solid. It is pretty hard to kill. It has answers to a lot of stuff. I feel like there are almost certainly some matchups that are probably not very good. Yeah. But you gain a lot of ground by having a bring to light answer package for a lot of things. And then the sideboard is just the cheapest, best possible hate cards available. Just like Dovin's Veto, Thoughtseize, Mystical Dispute, Go Blank, Weathered, Runestone, uh, Surak Dragon Claw is not cheap, but is is clearly there for a specific matchup, probably. Yeah, just to jam through your nibs, make sure you're able to resolve. I, I would assume just against the the hard control Azorius decks is right. its main point, and it seems great in that role. So more power to Surak. I was excited to see that card here. I I was on the dev team for that set, man. Uh, I was telling you before the show, I put I put Surak in a lot of FFL decks. It was not bad. I buy it. I mean, it's a good stat line. 6-6, six, six, Flash, can't be countered. Other creature can, spells can't be countered. Other creatures have Trample. Like that, That's a lot of value from this 5-drop. I think in real life, it was less good at eating Siege Rhinos than it was in FFL, you know? Okay. So it had a purpose, didn't quite get to live up to that purpose. No, I think it was mostly the other decks. Like, obviously, yeah, it being a 6-6, six, six, it was supposed to kind of like outscale green decks or whatever. Trample yeah. was there to beat token stuff, which didn't really materialize, and... Uh, Siege Rhino is probably uncounterable or is not uncounterable because this card is. So like this card and Pearl Lake Agent were uncounterable and there was like too many things that were uncounterable basically in the set. Now, would it have, you think it would have stayed a four or five in that scenario or does it shrink if it's uncounterable? Uh, so it was, it was four or five uncounterable ETB drain three. And then it was like, oh, well. No yeah. life gain. No, it was, it was drain three. Oh, okay, so it did have life gain. Yeah, it was just not not trample, and then it was like, oh, okay, well, there. Think I don't know if there's another uncounterable card in the set too on top of this, or if it was like, well, this is the third one. This is kind of heavy handed, so it should not have this, and then it got trample again because of the token stuff. Twenty six cards in the latest set with treasure on them. Just just so you know, I mean, <laughs> we want to talk heavy handed. Yeah, I think that's different. If it, I mean, I guess even for an evergreen mechanic, that's outrageous. Yep. But whatever. I, but I'm, I'm glad you were not heavy-handed in this case. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily all me. I do think that maybe I was the person who brought this up, where it's just like, oh, goddamn, everything is uncountable. Why is this, you know? <laughs> right. It's just like, just just remove counterspells. If that's what you're going to do, you know? And the counterspells in that format were pretty good. So that's it's a weird... I, I mean, I get, like, you you load up on counter magic that's decent, and you say, okay, we need to have counterplay to this. Right. But if you're going to build in that kind of counterplay, just don't do it. I I really didn't like Disdainful Stroke. And now it's just in every standard set tormenting me. It is always present. There's also Salumgar's scorn in that set, right? That That was was in DTK. Okay. That was was much, much later, but yeah. Uh, Anyway, second place in this Pioneer Challenge. Optimus 344 with... Winota, 23 lands, 29 creatures, four fables, four chariots. Uh, biggest thing you can find is Tovalar's Huntmaster, although just getting another Winota is fine too. Yep. G- giving her haste basically, and then like a random Kenrith. And- yeah, it's all fine. I don't I don't think you need absurd hits when like, if you just get one, you kind of win the game a lot of the time. And I hate this deck. I really just don't want it to be a thing any longer. I hate the litmus test it provides for the format. I hate how uninteresting the games often feel, both with and against against it, quite frankly. But like half the time I feel like, well, 
Am I supposed to just be playing Winota? And I wonder if like it isn't represented as much as it should be just because it is sort of meh. Like it just does its thing. So uh, yeah, Ben Winota. Done with it. Cool. Third place, Coldfire 153, Esper, uh, Greasefang, Parhelion 2. So deposit Parhelion into your graveyard, Greasefang on three, return Parhelion, crew it with Okiba. Yeah, I don't know. You just... It's it's one of those combo decks where uh, you do your thing and sometimes you lose, but it's it's pretty rare, and this deck can do it pretty early. So uh, if you do get to turn three this, it is Winota-ish feeling. And then with recent prints, this deck actually looks really good because you yep. get to play Thoughtseize, you have Consider, you have Ledger Shredder as uh, another discard outlet, which is cool, Tainted Indulgence, Faithful Mending, you still get to play Dig Through Time inexplicably. I don't know why. Uh, and then just like Opt Spell Pierce. So now, now you're just this like cantrip-based combo deck, uh, which is just really rad. If you told me like a month from now this is the best deck in Pioneer, I would not be shocked. Given these ads, I, I right. kind of thought it was a joke before, honestly. Yeah. And I thought people were trying a little too hard with this. But just Ledger Shredder tainted indulgence i sort of believe now it's got a lot more glue a lot more consistent a lot more powerful and like you said it gets to play multiple game plans very consistently if you have the right interaction suite for a given tournament with this deck i think you're in a really really strong spot and uh you know maybe like some of the stuff here doesn't exactly line up with Winota. That's that's one knock I would have against it. Like I wish this deck was built a little bit more in consideration of that deck existing. But that's what sideboards are for. There's plenty of moves you can make. So yep. I I believe in this deck now. I, I am a uh hundred percent adept of the Grease Fang, and you will see me resolving Parhelions at some point in the future. The one thing I do not like about this deck, kind of similarly to the reanimator deck in modern when we went over like one of the deck dumps or something was just like that deck had to find in a lot of the versions without on Mark grave, you had to find Archon of cruelty and then put it in your graveyard mm-hmm. and then also have the reanimate thing. This has the same problem where it's like you need exactly like grease Fang and Parhelion and they have like a miser sky sovereign, which is fine, but certainly not yeah. great. And if you are able to put that together, then it's awesome, but you're definitely going to play games where you go through like 30 cards and you're still missing a piece, you know? So there is some amount of fail rate there. Yeah, you've just gotten so much better at putting it together. Like even in comparison to modern, you have dig through time. That's like a huge, huge difference maker in terms of doing things reliably. And you fuel it so well with this deck, right? Like with Faithful Mending, with Tainted Indulgence, you have so many cards that put multiples in the bin. You're reliably getting these dig through times off. I I agree. You could certainly still get caught with these cards in the bottom half of your deck, but you should still do enough in the early game and then get to this quote unquote late game turn four, turn five reliably and having the backup plan of just like, oh, I did my thing on turn three. That's a fine spot to be in when you're playing this type of combo control ish deck. Yeah. I mean, you you have Shredder, which is a fine plan B, but Mm -hmm. is mostly there as a blocker. You have push and Thoughtseize and Spell Pierce as ways to keep you alive. So you don't necessarily need to turn three the combo every game, right? Like you can very easily play until like turn six and then, and then do it then and still be fine. So I wouldn't sleep on faithful mending either. I I mean, adding the life gain to that card and just reliably doing this stuff and flashing it back, like games where you gain six or eight from faithful mending, 
that's a lot to ask your opponent to play through. So especially if they're trying to do like more fair things, which do still exist in Pioneer. So no, that's true too. Does does keep you alive? I, I just kind of look at it as break even because you have four thoughtsies and nine shock lands. So you're sure you're probably fair. you're probably taking a decent amount of damage. Yeah, that's all right. Deck looks really good. I really like this. Just absolutely streamlined list. Same. Fourth place, Snapcaster Bolt playing Green White Angels with that with that screen name. Really? Yeah, I was lied to. I was lied to by the name. Giada, Giada, Font of Hope, new two drop from Streets. Pretty solid. What? I I don't think it. It's not like oh, this card is super busted, but it is a very very good two drop, which the deck was severely lacking. Yeah, I mean, it does everything you wanted, right? Like it snowballs games really hard. It accelerates you so you can be a multi-spell deck. Previously, the only way you got to play like multiple spells in a turn was via Collected Company. Right. And that meant I was just spending four mana and doing nothing. So now I have the option to actually like spend four mana and maybe put two creatures into play, which is way more appealing to me than just casting Collected Company and ending my turn. So, Also funny that there is a Book of Exalted Deeds and two copies of Mutavolt. It's cool. I I mean, it sort of fits, right? It's it's not hard to get a little bit of side benefit from this card, I think, given you have like your uh, Righteous Valkyries and things like that. So sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, you could also just get your Valkyrie out of range against Mono Red, for example, if you're yeah. you're able to go that long. And yeah, I'm Bishop of Wings is here too. So th- there's yeah. there's plenty of ways to do this stuff for sure. So interesting deck. Sideboard definitely has, again, a lot of hate cards. Four copies of Archon of Emeria. As it should. Yep. And I that's this is just gonna be consistent, I think, throughout the, the top eight and the format, probably. I think so. Yeah, solid. Nothing that blows my blows my mind, but it seems like a fine uh, option. Yep. Uh Caillou, fifth place. Four Arclay Phoenix, four thing in the ice, one brazen borrower, two pieces of the puzzle. Four treasure crews, no galvanic iteration. So this is more of a classic list. Yeah, no ledger shredder either, which is a card that's starting to creep into these Phoenix decks. Yeah, uh, and I think we'll see that as we go throughout. So this feels sort of outdated to me. I I don't think this is like the better way to do this deck at the moment. I do think there is new technology, and I think it has improved the deck. So uh, fine list, but I think we're going to look at some Phoenix lists that I'm more into as we go through the rest of these decks. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to come across it, but it's also worth noting that a lot of the Phoenix decks kind of morphed into like this Narset Days Undoing or yep. Collective Defiance kind of combo control deck that had like Niv-Mizzet at the top end. And that was all just a reaction to where the format was at the time. Yeah, and things are getting a little bit more streamlined now, which I, seems correct to me, just like answer the things that matter. Uh, but as you see we keep talking about different decks as we move through this and it's not going to change as we move uh, to our next tournament either. So a lot of diversity in the format right now. Yep. Sixth place, Andy awkward. Another is it deck. This one with ledger shredder also monastery, Swiss spear, soul scar mage, bright dragon. So you have kind of like the modern ish uh, prowess package, except yep. you get to play treasure cruise just like the good old days in modern. And I'm pretty sure this is a Kane Reinhardt special. Okay, I, I really like the Reckless Rages here, like uh, alongside Ledger Shredder and these prowess creatures, which yeah. naturally grow out of space. Doing four damage for one mana is critical. You have to format. kill Winota. So, so important. And this is just like a really clean way of doing it. So I, I'm i sort of into this. Like as far as these Zizek decks go, I really appreciate a deck that has access to Reckless Rage right now. Yeah, Thing in the Ice, Arclay Phoenix, 
awesome cards, still a little bit mid-rangey, not particularly great against like Grease Fang or Lotus yep. Field. Yep. And they're maybe a little bit better against Winota, but I think getting the cheap creatures and getting to play with Reckless Rage is probably just good enough, if not like outright better. So I, I like this take. Too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Sir Maximi, seventh place. Mono Red, absolutely love this deck. Okay. So, eight prowess creatures. Eidolon of the Great Rebel, Bone Crusher Giant. Four Chandra Dress to Kill. Thing I did not realize is that Chandra works so well with the, like, Skewer the Critics, Light Up the Stage, mm. Spectacle yep. cards. Yeah. Just absolutely obscene. Uh, Kumano faces Kakazan, also is like another one drop. Pretty solid card. Also enables the the spectacle cards on the cheap. You get Den of the Bugbear, Ramnap Ruins, and a Sakenzins. You have infinite uh, utility in your mana base. Like Play with Fire has upgraded your Wild Slashes a little bit. You can play as many shocks as you want now. Like this deck is just really good. Like I love the red decks like this, where you have like staying power, you have late game, all of your cards feel individually powerful. This deck is awesome. I agree. I I thought red was quite good in the format previously. It sort of got outscaled for a little while, but more reliability for these spectacle cards. Like they're really where the deck pushes its power into uh, sort of more modern feeling, right? It, it gets that kind of damage output you're looking for. Worth noting too, next deck we're going to get to is the eighth place deck. It's, it's Sandy Dog playing mono red, of course. Very similar take, basically cutting two spike field hazard, two lightning strike, to looks like add two more lands. So we have uh, 13 mountains here and also playing two Karizev. So yep. just on the battlefield a little bit more. I think that's fine. I think both of these approaches are great. And as long as you are ready to account for Winota with these setups, and you see in the sideboard, there's red cap melees, there's lava coils. So there are, are options for answering this, even like stuff like Rampaging Ferocidon, if you're able to get on board early enough, that can make a difference. Uh, and then Chain Whirler too, Goblin Chain Whirler to clean up all those elves that they're so relying on. All this stuff seems like solid plans. I'm a little concerned about decks. Like there is some good life gain in the format right now. Things like the Angels deck, they're annoying. I'm sure you can play through them, beat them occasionally, I mean, but you don't <laughs> want to run into that reliably. That's no, sure. I mean, both these decks have like Ferocidon and Vortex in the sideboard. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I think the format at this point is very aware of Mono Red, and a lot of the decks have corrected, and I think the Mono Red decks have kind of like corrected against that and mm -hmm. updated their sideboards and stuff. So playing playing Mono Red now is not as good as it was like two, two, three weeks ago, but I think it is still good. And just this is the the greatest hits of Mono Red, basically. You yeah, know, this is like very reminiscent of like the Goblin Guide Stagger Shock Koth red deck and standard whereas like yep. man all your cards are just bangers yeah that's a that's a good analogy also i will note my wife's favorite magic deck the stagger shock cough deck no mono red? red pioneer decks uh you know eidolon the great rebel karizev monastery yeah. swift spear soul scar mage this is this is how she learned to play magic yeah eidolon is sort of a main deck hate card it doesn't necessarily sort of doesn't hit everything from the Lotus Field deck, but like early pressure plus it should be good enough because they still have to, you know, twiddle their land a bunch. But mm -hmm. I like the fact that if you don't want to be a Winota gamer or you think that Winota is getting hated out or whatever, 
and you want to be proactive because you don't know exactly what you're going to play against. I love that mono red is an option. And when I was initially looking at the format and was like, oh, it's just these like non-interactive decks, uh, just kind of like all doing their thing, like ships passing in the night or whatever. Like this had not really popped up yet. And right. now that it exists, I, I think the format's getting like a little bit better. And then, yeah, there's stuff like Ledger Shredder helping out. Yeah, there's, there's multiple good spots, I think, in this top eight where you can look and say, okay, these decks are like kind of doing some back and forth. Even if you want to look at like the Grease Fane deck, we talk about how that's evolving into playing more towards the battlefield with Fatal Push, Spell Pierce, uh, Thoughtseize. I mean, like, is it perfect? No. Is it better than it was? I, I think so. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. And then the second Pioneer Challenge... Fink 64 won with four Faceless Haven and 18 Snow-Covered Islands. Just spirits with some Curious Obsessions, Geist Light Snares, and Lofty Denials. Love yeah, what do, you, what do you make of this deck being the, the winner here? I mean, like, obviously a, a pretty stacked tournament. And I don't, like, obviously this stuff has floated around the format forever. I can't tell you how many times I've either tried mono blue in pioneer or just seen mono blue with occasional top eights, but it's not really like on anyone's list as a deck to watch here. You see it though, picking up a first place in a big spot. Why was this the moment for this deck? I mean, if people are figuring out how to play mid range in a sea of widely polarized decks, this deck is perfect to capitalize on it. And I think that you're just like, naturally set up pretty well to beat up on things like Lotus Field because you actually have main deck disruption. And, I mean, Geist Snare and Lofty Denial is more main deck counter magic than you normally see in a lot of decks like this, right? Right. So that certainly helps. You have Curious Obsession, uh, Mausoleum Wanderer can even get them. So I would say if if it's things like Niv or Blue White or Lotus Field, this deck looks great. I want to point out a Streets of New Copenic card in the sideboard. Four copies I like of this. Witness Protection. Dude, I like this. You have, this card's legit. Dude, you have any idea how many times I played like Dragon Turtle or the one that was like, it was like one mana dehydration, but mm-hmm. you take four or whatever. Uh, th- this card is perfect for this strategy. Absolutely. I agree. Perfect. I agree. It does exactly what you're looking for. Cheap, efficient, answers basically every creature and you're not going to care about that one one. Like it's just not going to matter all that much. So I, I am for this card. You can get like resets off of it with Brazen Borrower should you play it early and like want to find a, a cash in on it. Oh no, Brazen Borrower is uh, non... Yeah, it's uh, not your own stuff. Controls. Yeah, yeah. So scratch that. But still, there's, there's enough utility here where like having a clean answer to everything, don't sleep on that for a deck that's as limited as Mono Blue. It used to be you put something on the battlefield, you're buried. Yeah, and now they they basically just deal with it cleanly for one mana, which is exactly what they want. Huge upgrade. Yep, so I I don't know if this deck is good, but I love the look of it. I like how it's built a lot, and I'm I'm not surprised to see a deck like it doing well. Yeah. Bullseye, second place, Winota. Nothing to say. Still Winota. They they cut a fable for a selfless spirit. Okay. All right, third place, Cherry Man, uh, Mono Green Devotion. So this this is a deck that was kind of on the polls before, where it was like just this super hardcore ramp deck that you couldn't really interact with. And there's some ridiculous combo with like multiple Karns and Kioras that is infinite if you have, I don't know, 14 yeah. mana and a Nykthos or something. So it's like you're kind of building towards that, but like those cards are just good on their own. You have Storm the Festival to find all this stuff. Uh, so this is... 
mono green devotion with basically a deterministic endgame, which is kind of nice. That's good. Uh, that uh, you don't need a like super strong, you know, Karn Mycosynth lattice lockout, but you do need something. I think it's important to have something you can build towards where you just are like, I'm going to flood the battlefield, and then at some point I will do X. What is X? There has to be some X there, and it can be as clunky as you want as long as it functions, and it does here. So, you know, I I wish this deck had some more targets. Like it's just kind of linear and strong on its face, but not at all trying to like exploit anything or really like carve out a portion of the metagame. It's just good stuff that functions really well together. Sometimes that's enough though. So I, you know, I don't think this is a bad choice at all. No, it's it's okay. I think, you know, maybe a little bit too slow, maybe a little bit weak to a lot of the same stuff that Winota is weak to, where if like your elves are getting picked off, it's pretty bad for you, you know? Yep. So that's fair. I, I think that there are a lot of decks that I would choose over this, but I, I understand that this sort of strategy is a fan favorite. Sure. And it's solid. It's, you know, it's solidly like tier 1.5, tier 2, or whatever. Yep. Uh, Jesse Samick, fourth place. Phoenix, but with Shredder instead of Thing in the Ice. The Thing in the Ices now live in the sideboard. Uh, and this is two Trespass, one Treasure Cruise, two Galvanic Iteration, four pieces of the puzzle. So, again, kind of like the new classic version, except yep. updated with Ledger Shredder. Yeah. A little bit of combo action, uh, really strong ledger, ledger shredders here with consider opt, uh, all this card draw we have floating all over the place. So I mostly believe this to be the new face of Phoenix for the time being. I like the idea of thing in the ice in the sideboard. It always has made more sense to me as a sideboard card. It's so bad in half your matchups. Yeah. And like, I, I get it. It's hard for a seven, eight to be blank so you can make something out of it but you don't actively want it so many times so seeing it finally get replaced by something that is a little bit more functional in multiple matchups and these decks were prone to running out of gas in scenarios as well which is weird to say about the deck that plays like treasure cruise and occasionally dig through time but it could happen yeah and now they have very very reliable refreshes they have another threat and ledger shredders so i still like this deck i i think it's extremely solid probably like Tier 1, Tier 1.5 in my eyes. It's definitely good. I am a little bit more partial to the Narset builds, depending on what the metagame looks like. Okay. But that's typically because I like Narset a lot in in certain matchups that were popular before. Like, obviously, if that changes and it's like a bunch of mono red and spirits or whatever, it's like, no, okay, just give me, give me like the time walks or whatever. Yeah, I spent so much time like trying to work the Narset combo stuff into various decks. A lot of it in... Pioneer, but probably even more in modern, like Teferi's puzzle box stuff. And I kind of got my fill of it. It just it just never quite got there for me. But I think Narset as a card is very strong in the format. So. Right. That that's the whole idea. And I don't like days undoing. I think that's yep. kind of nonsense. You, once you shift over to having like two or three collective defiances in your deck, I like that a lot. Because yep. that card actually has reasonable utility, whereas Days Undoing is just like absolutely dead unless you have Narset. Yeah, that was always the problem. So you could you could sell me on like a halfway version of this approach. Yeah. Uh, Bolivo, fifth place, legendary Magic Online Grinder. Azorius Control, 80 cards with the Urian, Planeswalkers and Sweepers and Counterspells and whatnot. Yeah, what's there to say about this deck? I think it's solid, but uh, you know what it does. It it has good threats for every matchup. I, I like the focus on the Wandering Emperor. I think the card's obviously incredible everywhere. And yeah, 
back that up with a little shark typhoon. You have the right removal spells, the right disruption, memory deluge to play the long game. All the pieces are there for sure. This should be a player in mod or excuse me, in Pioneer for basically ever, I think. Yeah, you like you said, you have all the pieces. Before it was like, oh, we're kind of missing like cheap interaction. Now you have Faithful Absence, March. Uh, you have a big catch-all sweeper in Farewell. You have a good defensive Planeswalker with Emperor. Yep. You, you kind of have it all. You have everything that you could possibly want. So I think so, yeah. If, if this is not good, then Blue-Eye Control is not good. Fair enough. AFX, sixth place. Uh, Thing in the Ice, no Phoenix, four Narset, uh, no Niv, but like a Hullbreaker Horror for the top end. Two Collective Defiance, one Day's Undoing. So a little, yeah. bit, a little bit of mix. Yeah, like you said, I, I do like Collective Defiance a lot more. It has other utilities, so that makes sense. But Day's Undoing continues to be a little clunky. Although you look at the spell quality here, it's it's really high. I still believe in Hullbreaker Horror as a pioneer finisher. That makes sense to me. This deck is set up really well to leverage it. So, yeah, solid if you like the Narset build. I think, like you said, metagame-dependent call. You really need to know what you're trying to target with the Narset builds. Yeah, if Narset is bad, your deck is probably bad. Sounds right. Uh, Claudio, again, in seventh place with Niv. Unfortunately, could not win both tournaments. Yeah, only played 60 cards this time. I'm going to say that's why. Did not win this instance of of the challenge. Yeah, the 61st Magic card. It's a magical thing. And in eighth place, Max 09, 80 card Azorius. Minus, or yeah, minus one Absorb, plus one Shark Typhoon are the main deck spell difference from Bolivos. Yeah, so we, we end on a duplicate there, but if you paid close attention during that top eight, seven different archetypes, I believe. You know, it depends if you want to count like the blue-red decks as the same thing, but I wouldn't. I, I think the blue-red decks we see here are very different. Yeah, they're so different. That speaks pretty well, this format. Like we mentioned, decks that are looking to interact on the stock. We saw no Lotus Field anywhere across these two challenges. So that's sort of at a trend down right now. That tends to be the best moment to play Lotus Field when people are just like, oh, there's no Lotus Field. True. Uh, It it can steal a tournament at that moment. But as it stands right now, I, I think Pioneer is in a solid, solid place. And if you told me I had to play a Pioneer RPTQ season, I would not be the least bit upset. I would be, but that's okay. Okay. What what format would make you happy right now? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's kind there of the problem. There you go. <laughs> that is the problem. Yeah, they're all, they're all okay. So, I I probably would not be complaining no matter what. I think I could probably find a deck in modern that is not eighty cards that will not go to time every round, and yeah. at that point, I'll probably be pretty happy because I, I think okay. I think modern is probably not not necessarily a better format, but uh, one that I would enjoy more. Sure, I could I could see that. Standard, I think, has homogenized towards just piles of good cards at this point. <laughs> yeah. Which is, honestly, versus the standards we've played in the past, I'll take it. Like, I, I will take a mid-range format for a little while, but I'm, I'm ready for a change. I think this format feels very similar to the last format. Not a lot of change with Streets of New Capenna, just some upgrades to the already existing archetypes that didn't really change the way they played at all. Just a little bit more value throughout various spots on their curve. And that's not really what you're looking for when it comes to a new set. So No, I'm I'm kind of shocked that that happened throughout standard in general, where it was like, okay, here's, you know, like some more gruel cards or some more is it cards. And there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that like spawned new archetypes, you know? Yep. 
And I'm, yep, I I'm agree with you. Kind of disappointed by that. Especially I mean, not not after Kamigawa anyway. Like Kamigawa was the one where it just kind of revolutionized everything. But after that, going to streets, there nothing really changed at that point. Did Kamigawa actually change that much? It was like, oh, no, I think so. It was like, oh, you can do all these cool things, but then everyone just went back to like Esper, Goldspan, Dragon Chariot, and is it? Uh, and some Mono of White. that. Some of that, yeah, but like Wandering Emperor was a big cha- game changer. Like the Esper stuff is very much built on all those Kamigawa cards, be it Kaido, Wandering Emperor. It was a deck before that was doing very well. It it was, but it wasn't good. Like people were talking themselves into it, and uh, I, I think it really needed those cards. The other one I will point out, which is clearly just born of Kamigawa, is the Enchantment deck. I like that only existed at that moment. Yeah. Okay. I, champion deck. That is true. I, I think that that deck kind of stinks. So it is having a resurgence recently. I know. And I know. I, I'm surprised by that. I agree with you. It seemed to be degrading very quickly, but yeah, doing well right now. And I, I don't know if we're going to take a look at standard anytime soon. Cause it's a little, little boring, but who knows, you know, if they give us the right incentives to pay attention to standard, maybe we'll do that. I've been playing a little bit. But it was mostly just like, oh, I saw this kind of like cute thing and I wanted to try it. And that was it. Was it was the cute thing good? It, the thing that I did was really good. Yeah. OK. I mean, you have to tell us about it. Oh, I don't know. It was just Esper, but like I fixed it. So like Esper, the, the way people are building it, it's just like, oh, I play for Vanishing Verse because it's the best removal spell. And it's just like it doesn't kill anything that matters. It's like, what what are you doing? I don't know. I changed some stuff up. I quickly realized like what the best cards were. And I was like playing four of them instead of, you know, three of this and one of this and one of this or whatever. Hmm. So I don't know, man. Uh, just like play, play soul shatter. Cause it kills dragon and uh, like Rafine in the mirror match or just, you know, kills planeswalkers a lot of the time. And people were just like, ah, I'll just play vanishing verse, even though it doesn't do anything. It's like, obviously it's good against like chariot or mono white, but it's not a great exchange against dragon. And a lot of the time they just blow you out anyway. So yep, it's just stuff like that, man, where I, I do think that you have a lot of room to make little changes and have it actually be impactful, especially for a deck like Esper. Yep. That, that is what I saw by the way, when I was more closely mounted, managing the standard format. Uh, unfortunately I have gotten busy with other things, but when I was doing our tier list, people who were making small adjustments, uh, crushing conscientious of the metagame, yeah, they were doing a great job and they, it was all about like, oh, I'm splashing this color this week, or this is the week where I need this many disdainful strokes, or I'm playing this removal spell instead. That was really the key to the format. And when I say like, it's good that standard is doing the mid-rangey thing, from a macro perspective, it when you look at it, it's kind of dull and all mushes together to a faceless soup. But from a micro perspective, when you're in it and you're trying to get an edge, I think it's a really player-friendly format. Yeah, I mean, the, the cards are there to give you edges, at least now in like A-set standard. Like you have so many different playable removal options and threat options, and your yep. your mana bases at this point should be almost absolutely perfect unless you're trying oh, yeah. to curve like one to four. Yep. Then maybe you have some problems. But mana's fantastic. All the cards are super, super good. Copious amounts of like two-for-ones. So you just really run out of gas. You get to use basically your mana on every single turn. You know, it's yep. like... Those, those sort of things I do like, but then it's just like, uh, it's just, you know, the same three or four decks, which is right. not great. But Well, rotation soon. One set more. I know. We'll be rotating. I can't wait for it. I, I We need the new set to make new archetypes, though. and I, We do. 
I we do usually expect that to be the case because the first set after rotation kind of has to be a banger. Yeah. To have an impact. So they've been pretty good about that. And that's what I want. Just a little bit of change in the meantime, I'll probably, you know, cast some Rafines for the next couple of days or whatever, and then get bored of it. I, I wish you the best of times. I'm going to uh, go watch some flesh and blood all weekend and commentate. And I expect you to watch, even if you don't know what's going on, I expect everyone to watch. Dude, I watched the calling on. that you did commentary for. I watched a Excellent. lot of it. Good. I'm glad. Did you have a good time? No. Okay. Well, thank you anyway. And I expect you to come back and have an even worse time for this pro tour. So. Uh, because I know you have my back like that. You and the the commentary team you had for that were enjoyable to listen to. But I just had no idea what was going on. And. Yeah. At some point, I should like maybe figure out the rules of the game. I, I think if you just knew the basic rules, we could carry you to an understanding of it because we we try to be conscientious of that. So, yeah, it's a new I game. Had a, right? I had a lot of people say to me like, oh, I just picked up these rules. You know, I watched Prof's video and watched you guys do coverage and it was great. We, I was able to pick up and understand and you did such a good job walking me through it, which is so, so nice to hear because it really is the goal of what we're trying. Like, we want it to appeal to both of those sets of audiences. Really hard to do that, by the way. Like, it's yes. just a problem TCGs have always had. But we're trying. We're, we're doing our best to make it appeal to uh, both the enfranchised and the the new viewers. And hopefully we hit it out of the park this weekend. I think stuff like, maybe these are bad analogies, but like League of Legends or, or like chess, where it's like, okay, you kind of get what's going on like you kind of understand the very basics of the rules so it's it's sort of easy to sit down and watch if you're interested in that sort of thing but in order to really understand the nuance or whatever it's like leave that up to the commentators they can provide as much or as little as they want to you know but it's like you can still you're able to watch and kind of know what's going on without having this expert level understanding of it and we need it we need a card game like that honestly Look, you know I'm a full stand at this point, but I I honestly think Flesh and Blood takes a lot of steps towards making that happen. You you play with very uh, similar setups face up on the board in all games. Everything is about – I won't say everything. There's like one major exception in the meta right now, but almost everything is about just this back and forth combat on every single turn. And you know that sounds kind of like drab – but there's so many wrinkles to it and so much nuance to it that we're in, you know, if I said chess is all about moving your pieces around the board. Okay. That's boring. But like, obviously there's so much more to it than that. Right. And flesh and blood feels the exact same way. I think if you get to that and that's why it follows so well to the people who are like, Oh, I just picked up this base knowledge because when you understand like what is happening here, what is the essence of flesh and blood? Where's the, the combat that's being, you know, how are these cards interacting with each other? Then turns play out in a way where it's like oh well this attack is happening here's the block that's happening that's almost always what the turn is about and then it's got tons and tons of nuance layered on top of it so yeah i mean in theory magic is kind of easy right it's just like your lands tap for mana you cast some creatures you attack with them or whatever but just like all the cards have a ton of text and right you know fab does too right it does it does and not as much this, but well there's this weird moment with fab and there's some of this in Yu-Gi-Oh, but it's it's way worse in Yu-Gi-Oh, where you just like learn the shorthand reading technique where you're just able to parse everything at like a moment's notice and it's it's even faster than magic because so many repeat instances of text show up where you just go, Oh, this card is one of those. And then it happens seven more times in the hero's kit 
and you just expect it after a while. And they're really good about playing to those expectations and making sure cards function how they need to. So you reach that baseline level of comprehension. It's a game that blossoms very quickly. I'm not saying there's not a huge investment to hit that point. Yeah. But once you once you hit that point, it opens up very quickly. All right. I I know for a fact that I'm going to tune in at some point over the weekend. Okay. And at least to see my suits, because you know, my suits are fresh as fuck for yeah, this I, event. I told you to, to post some some Twitter pictures, you know. Nah, I'm saving I'm saving them until people tune in. All right. Whatever. That's fine. Got to give them a reason. But that, it's like the highlight. It's the hype moment, right? It's how you get them to then click on the coverage. This is it. This is this is that moment where I'm saying. No, because you, you show them the thing and then they go to coverage from that. I don't know. You're like, oh, click this for a surprise. But it's like, it's more likely if you give them kind of like the surprise up front and then they go watch the thing. 100%. I think, 100%. I think they would have to be more ridiculous suits than they are. Like they would have to go a little bit harder in the paint to achieve that. It doesn't have to be outrageous. I I also think that your definition of outrageous is probably higher or different than other folks. So whatever. Uh, Maybe that might be true. Anyway, what channel is this on? Twitch.tv slash channel fireball. Okay. That's what I thought, but just wanted to make sure. So starting starting Friday morning, bright and early. Uh, I think we go live at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Okay, real quick, just you know, like one word answers basically like what player do you think is going to win and what deck do you think is going to win? Bravo Star of the Show is going to win. As far as player, it's tough. It's tough. Uh I think someone we've never heard of before. And I think it's going to be like someone from a, a region that just doesn't have the spotlight on it the same way some of the other regions do. Okay. No, that's cool. That would make for a good story. I'm down with that. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm hoping for. Game. Good luck.